Welcome to the Aaron Novello Podcast. Are you looking to master the art of real estate sales? Do you want to level up your business and lifestyle? You are in the right place. Aaron and his guests share winning real estate sales strategies and techniques and show you how to win the inner game that leads to financial freedom. Get ready. Here is your host, top producing real estate agent and coach to some of the top agents in the U.S. and internationally, Aaron Novello. Welcome back, Novello Nation, to another episode of the Aaron Novello Podcast. I have with me a truly rock star of a human being. He is a ex-Marine. He is retired law enforcement. He currently owns a CrossFit gym and is an Airbnb mogul, Mr. Fernando David. It's so awesome to have you with me, brother. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. I still remember the first time I met you. Did I tell you? I I know I told you the story. When I first met you and your wife, you were a brand new agent. You guys were just starting out. And I remember coming home and telling my wife, I just met a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is going places. This was years ago. I mean, shit. I think it's been, what, 10 years? 13, man. 13 years. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I. To this day, I remember coming home and saying, dude, I just met this guy that I think is going to be a superstar. And here we are, 13 years later, you're you're exactly what I predicted when I met you. That's awesome, brother. I appreciate your kind words. It means a ton coming from you. And for those listening, I actually met Fernando um, while training for a triathlon with team and training, and he was the lead trainer. And I remember your workouts, brother, were... uh, uh, super difficult, but I'm also aware that they very much so prepared me mentally and physically to, you know, kind of deal with other challenges in life as time progresses, just in life in general and in business. So I really do my best to bring people to the platform that I think can really add value. And I think you can add value in multiple ways. And one of the ways is this idea of kind of thinking from a financial perspective, because I know you were kind enough to share with me uh, in a call previously that we were having that your kind of uh, intention in the past was really focused in a different area. It wasn't kind of entrepreneurial, right, in nature. It wasn't uh, looking about cash flow and passive income and things of that nature. It was more so focused on like pension and, um, you know, putting in time and things of that nature. So if you could talk a little bit to the audience about that kind of journey and evolution for you. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because I grew up in the 70s, right? And back in the 70s, it's, it was, you know, go to school, get a nine to five, work for 30 years, and, get, and you get rewarded with a pension, right? That was what I grew up with. Um, and I grew up in Puerto Rico, so it was very difficult. Uh, in Puerto Rico, to find a good job, very difficult to do. So my out, because, again, my grades weren't that great, you know, my, going to college, my family didn't have money to send me to college, but... My aunt was the military, right? And I bought into the program. Hey, you know, do 20 years, and after 20 years, you're going to get a pension. You're going to be young. You can do whatever you want. And the moment I heard pension, I'm like, I'm in. Joined the Marine Corps, <laughs> and I was off and running, right? Left the island and never went back. But when I was, you know, when I was there, one of the things that changed my perspective or what the reason why I didn't stay in or well, two things while I was there. 
the Marine Corps did one thing very good that helped me out tremendously. The Marine Corps made every young Marine take a financial class. You know, back then, you know, it's, for if you're probably 30 years or younger, you're not going to relate to this story. But uh, back then, you used to write checks, checks for everything, right? You have to physically write a check. Well, young Marines didn't even know how to write a check. And a lot of them were getting in trouble and getting court-martialed for bouncing checks, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and uh, it, it was a serious problem. So they, the Marine Corps decided everyone has to go through a financial class. And I remember taking this class, and I was in a room of a bunch of young Marines, and the, the, the person teaching it was a almost, he was about to retire as a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. And he told us two very important things that stuck to me forever. He goes, Hey, if you guys, no matter what you do, whether you stay in the Marine Corps or whether you you leave and go into the real world, world is you need to invest in the stock market, market and buy real estate. Those are two things he said. He goes, if you do that, you guys are young enough now that by the time you're in your 60s, you can retire and you'll be financially well. I bought into that. I said, all right, perfect. <laughs> you know, what do I have to do? And I would, the Marine Corps had a program called the uh, Deferred Compensation Program where you put in 10% of your money and they'll invest it in whatever, the stock market. Never paid too much attention to that. But fast forward, I ended up leaving the Marine Corps because uh, my wife had a son. And during those four years, I was traveling so much that I said, listen, because I was always getting deployed. If you're in the military, it's really not for, for families because as a as a member, you're always getting deployed, you're leaving. So when my son was born, I, I, I sat down with my wife and I reflected on what I wanted to do going forward. And one of the things that I realized is, A, I wanted to be a father. Because we had a hard time having a baby. My wife was pregnant six times before, before my son was actually born, mm -hmm. right? So when he was born, we, for me, that was a huge blessing. At least. at least we got one, right? And I used to tell my wife, my son is going to, he has to be some, something special because he's the only one that survived. Every, every other one died. I, I laugh at him now, but it was, it was rough on my wife more than me. But, but anyways, I said I wanted to be a father. So I couldn't stay in the Marine Corps to, and be a father because there was no way. Right? So what's, what most Marines do when they get out, they look for another place with a pension, right? And they look at a career that's similar to the military. And for me, that was law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So I left, uh, joined, joined uh, the police department, and that's where I retired from. But during that process, right, my goal was I never, I, I never thought about being a business person. Entrepreneurship didn't exist. That word wasn't even popular back, back in the day as it is now, right? But I followed that program that I learned in that class that day buying real estate and investing in the stock market, right? Those are two things that I did. Fifth, it was 16 years into my career. I had four years left to retire. Well, I'm sorry, five years left because it was uh, 15 years in, into, my, uh, into my career in law enforcement. I looked at my portfolio, looked at the numbers, right? The time I had a couple of properties. Uh, and now I've been, I was putting in, because I did four years in the Marine Corps, so 19 years into this the program, right? And I looked at it and I, I went, something's wrong here, right? I don't, my properties were worth 
a lot, I have more equity and more money in my properties, but three times more than I did in my deferred cop. And, 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 and my properties, money wasn't coming out of, my, out of my pocket. My renters were paying for my stuff, right? Nothing came out of my pocket. My renters paid for everything. Yet I was putting, and at this time, I'm putting 18% of my salary into this deferred cop. And I'm like, what the heck, man? It's good to have, right? And everybody says you should have it. But I'm like, had I taken all that money and bought more properties, I'd be in a much better financial position. So I decided, hey, I'm going to double down on real estate because that's what's working for me. Uh, and I'll keep this portfolio because I can't touch it until I'm 59. Right? So I'll keep this money here, but I'm really not going to focus on that as a, as a lot of people tend to do because I think that's a trap. It, it's, it, it's not real. It's not real, people. You can't touch it. You can't pull it out. If you do, you're going to lose 10, 15 percent. I mean, it's. I, I, I don't want to get into a huge debate on whether you know being in a 401k is good or not. Uh, but I'll just say this: Had I not done that and invested more in real estate, I'd be much better financially than I am today. Yeah, which is not too bad today. And uh, <laughs> what I'm aware of, and this is cool, and I appreciate all of that, right? Because I had a very similar. Uh, awareness following very traditional kind of sacred cows, if you will, right. right? Like, you know, buy a house, pay it off, put money in a retirement plan, like that sort of thing. And you were following that track. And I remember one of my mentors, he said something to me that physically made me sit down. I had to like sit down because he was like, what? And he said, having all your money trapped in a house and in a retirement plan is another form of poverty. Yeah. And when he said that, I was like, what like that? Like it was just so counter to everything that I'd been like taught or believed until that point. And I had to sit down and think about it because you just mentioned it. I can't take my wife out to eat with the, my equity in my house. I can't pay for my kids' private school with it, right? I can't, uh, you know, take a nice trip. And I also, if I want to touch that money, I mean, there's a penalty as far as the equities are concerned. So there's no freedom in that. Yeah. And it sounds like you recognize that, right? Now I'm sure. I mean, it's still cool. You have those two pensions and, and, and those aren't necessarily a bad thing. At the same time, the world and the kind of things that you were taught at that time, 50 years ago, uh, 40 years ago, is not the world and the environment that we live in today. So you recognize that and you said, okay, cool. And then you pivoted. Okay. So I'm wondering for you, like, what was it about like why Airbnb? Because I know there's all these different like kind of types of real estate that people can be involved in or invest in, whether it's residential, residential, single family residential homes, multifamily, Airbnb, industrial. Like what was it about short-term rentals that you were like, aha, I have the vehicle? Well, he, again, it was, this is another situation in which I fell into it by accident, right? I, I, I had one property that I personally wanted to use. I'm like, listen, this would be cool. You know, family comes, yeah. it's got a pool um, near the beach. I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I want to use this property. But like anything else, I, I need to make money. I can't just let it sit. I need to make money. So that's where the Airbnb came into play. I said, you know, when we're not using it or when my family doesn't come down, down and stay with us, we'll Airbnb it. So we did. The very first month, I made more money in that property than I did in any of all my other rentals. And I'm like, 
whoa, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, maybe, maybe it was just a fluke, right? Let's see what happens the next month. But then, within that within that time period, the next month was fully booked. The next month was fully booked. We were four months out, and I was already booked. And I'm, and I'm a numbers guy, so I'm already counting my. You know, even though it wasn't even yet, like, holy smokes, man. And look how much money we're making, right? It was three times more than I would have made had I long-term rented that property. The other thing I found out by accident was that, shoot, I'm looking at my property every day. You know, my cleaners are going in. They're telling me if there's anything wrong and if there's any minor issue, we fix it right away. And on my long-term properties, every time I had a tenant leave, it, it was costing me an average of $10,000 to get it back up rental ready, right? So I'm like, well, wait a second, time out, right? That, that's a big number, right? And on my Airbnb side, I, I eliminated that because my guys are in there every day looking at it and we don't let small, small problems become big problems which is what happens in long-term rentals. You know, the, the, your, your sink starts to leak, the, your tenant knows it, does nothing about it, and then six months later, you go and your, your, your cabinets underneath your sink are rotten because they're letting the water damage. So, you know, same thing with AC. They don't maintain the AC. And you get a phone call, hey, the AC froze and it's out because I never clean or change the filters or clean the water lines, right? Uh, so those little headaches that you have as a long-term tenant, you don't have in the short-term world. So that's how I stumbled upon it. And I, I, I only have one duplex that it's a long-term, it's still long-term, but only because I have family members in it. Yeah, and, uh, that's the only uh, reason, otherwise it would be Airbnb for right. sure. So I wrote down two things that you became aware of. One is obviously the cash flow numbers jumped out and you're like, holy smokes, this is like a three X on the revenue. But then also two, which I think is very interesting, is that you notice there's actually less wear and tear on the short term than there is on long term. And even though that's a little counterintuitive because people are in and out of it all the time, you're actually, you as the operator are able to get people in and fix problems right away. Correct. And not only that, this is what, what a long term ten- tenant is going to live in the property. A vacation run of the per- person is most likely only going to sleep in the property. They don't come to Florida to stay in the house. They come to Florida to go to the beach, right? They come to Florida to go hang out in nightclubs. They're not in the property. They go there just to sleep. That's so interesting you say that. I love that distinction because like, yeah, and they're probably like, you know, like getting, uh, they're probably ordering food or going out to a, they're not even using like any of the facilities, right? They're just going there to sleep. So it's just got to look pretty and nice and clean. Yep. That makes total sense to me. Okay. So then, so you had this epiphany. You're like, wow, this is interesting. Right. It was kind of serendipitous. You did it for yourself personally. But then you notice like, whoa, the numbers make sense and there's deferred maintenance and it makes more sense than my long term rentals did. So then what was that kind of uh, transition for you where you began to shift away from kind of the long term and put more of your time and energy and effort into the Airbnb short term rentals? Yeah. So it, it, it was obviously gradual because I had to wait, the, wait for the long term leases to expire. But as soon as they expired, I. They were gone. We fixed the properties. We furnished them. And, you know, we just made them long-term, short-term rentals. Uh, that was a shift. And that was, oof, it was a godsend. And here's the interesting part, too. In the very beginning, when we first started, uh, only Fort Lauderdale and Pompano 
no, sorry, Fort Lauderdale and Lauderdale by the Sea had any type of regulations on uh, vacation rentals. Really? So, yep, yep. So my plantation properties, my Davy properties, Hollywood, none of them had any regulations uh, for. So it's very easy to do back then. Uh, and even though with the regulations um, and some of the fees you have to pay, it's still very minute. It's not. It's not like it's super expensive or, or super hard to maintain the regulations. But the process was extremely easy back when I first started because there was no regulation, right? And it was just you want to you want to rent your room out, you want to rent your house out, just put it on Airbnb and you're done. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes total sense to me. So at, at the beginning, right? Because nothing breeds competition or regulation like profits. Right. At the beginning, it was like yo, like it's like the wild west. Like there's not too many people. They're not regulating it. Like boom. So it was easy to kind of grow. Now I'm imagining. My hallucination is is that that has changed now. Yeah. There's much more yeah. regulation, and you know you're an expert in all of that, and making sure that people cross the T's and dot the I's. Correct. And I guess I'm curious because you know you would know this better than most. That particular vehicle, those short-term rentals, I mean, they are subject to. You hear stories about certain governments and certain geographic areas being like, nope, can't do it anymore, or whatever, right? So, like, how do you mitigate that risk? Because I think that's really important. Is, is to basically hedge against if for some reason things change. Yeah, so for me, and I tell, I tell this, uh, I, I mentioned this a lot because a lot of people make this mistake and it's a huge mistake they make, right? A lot of people, especially in the last couple of years, realized, man, I can make money just about any property uh, on short-term rentals because the profits are just that big. So they'll buy anything and they'll buy it retail, not realizing that if government regulation changes and you can't rent that anymore as a short term, then you're screwed, right? So one of the way I hedge against that is that I make sure the property uh, cash flows as a long term rental. Uh, if it from doesn't day one. from day from one, day one, from day one, if it does not cash flow as a long term rental, I don't touch the property. So that's how I hedge against that because. Uh, um, I've seen it time and time again that, and two reasons. One, another thing is this: a lot of people will buy it, right? Uh, they, they they think it's so easy to manage, and they'll do it themselves, and then they'll realize oh, it's not that easy. Uh, I don't want to do it, so now you're stuck because you can't go long term. So now you have to sell the property. And people that people that realize, or people that that come across with that problem. They realize it very quickly. They don't want to do it. And you can't sell because you bought retail. So you're not going to make any money on it if you sell you. So um, the way you hedge against it is just to make sure that the numbers work as a long-term rental. And if they work as a long-term rental, they'll definitely work in the short-term world. It's interesting. So by being disciplined in that approach, it basically not only serves as a hedge, but it also almost in a way based on what you're sharing like guarantees that it's going to be profitable as an airbnb correct guarantees it guarantees it right makes total sense to me so and you brought up something because i'm aware that that's a common mistake right that you're saying that people don't really do the numbers to make sure it cash flows as a long-term rental just in case because there is some component of that that we you know they can't control for some reason governments change their mind okay what are some other like major maybe one or two like major mistakes that people make in getting into the short-term rental space? One big one is they don't, they don't 
calculate when they're doing their numbers. Some people will do numbers, right? When they're doing their numbers, they don't calculate the initial expense, right? When you do a short-term rental, unlike a long-term rental, you have to furnish that thing, right? People don't calculate and realize how much it costs to furnish an entire house because you have to get it ready for a guest just like if that guest was moving into it, right? The cuffs, the, the forks, you know, the silverware, um, you know, the beds, the sheets, the towels, all that stuff, they don't calculate those into their numbers. So, yeah, the cash flow will work, but their initial ROI and the cost of getting into the unit shrinks, right? So, so that's a big mistake that people uh, make. The other very, very big mistake that I see people make is this, is that they think I'm going to buy a $800,000 house in Rio Vista, right, with a pool and expect that house to be profitable, right? It's been my experience just like, uh, um, and I put it in some simpler ter terms, right? Can that property be profitable? Yes, it can. But it's, it's going to require a lot more expertise to and managing that property so you can make some money. Reason being is because you're going to shrink your pool of potential guests, right? Just like in real estate, right? If I have a house that's worth $350,000, and I put that house on the market, I'm going to have a large pool of potential buyers versus a $2.2 million house. I put that on the market, my pool of buyers go, go this month, right? So with that, with that in mind is why I say it's very, people make a lot of mistakes by thinking I have to go super big, super luxurious uh, in order for me to be profitable in Airbnb. And it's the opposite. It's the opposite because I know we had this. So it's cool. I wrote down two things. Is one is one major mistake is they don't think about the capex right. to kind of get it up and going because you might have to spend thirty grand with like redoing stuff, renovating, with uh, buying um, you know furniture, or whatever. So that first year, you know, your cash flow might be the cash on cash return might be a little bit less, but then as time progresses, you make up for that. And then the second is is um, imagining that it needs to be super nice and super luxurious and like a tip top a plus location where in fact in your professional experience managing i think you're almost at like 100 units right 100 doors that either you um that you guys you have a management division which we'll talk about for a moment where you can do this for people that you guys manage that it's actually the opposite that the properties that are, don't have to be like super nice location great i mean sure not like in terrible locations but they don't have to be super luxurious they're actually yeah. more profitable than the ones that are super luxurious. Correct. Much more profitable. That is yeah. so interesting, right? And I can see how that would be a mistake, a common mistake that people make mentally. So I made that mistake, right? I personally made that mistake. I had a property in Real Vista. That's how I learned that, oh man, I made a mistake, right? Because that's that's one of the things that that not not one of the things that I'll say about me, I'm very um, I, I tend to be extremely aggressive, right? And I don't mind making mistakes because I, I believe that that's when you truly learn. Yeah, when the tolerance for risk is pretty high. Yeah. And everything yeah. that you've done for a military law enforcement, like you're the one going in the door, like let's rock and roll. So your tolerance is like really high for risk, right? Yeah, very high. And I, and I don't, 
And it's not that I don't do it without making a calculated decision. Because I yeah, do you think, think about, about it, but you're like, you know. Yeah. But, but like my wife tells me all the time, and this is where the, the, why my wife and I balance each other out, uh, the yin and yang, you know. Um, I'm very optimistic, overly optimistic, right? I tend to look at something and I don't see what's wrong with it. I see the good that's in it, right? I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can do it. Prime example is the property I live in now. Well, I, I live on three acres in Davie. We bought it at a, at a deal because the property when we bought it was horrible. Like, it, like we, we walked in into the property, walked into the gate, electronic gate. I'll never forget this thing. We walk in and my, all my wife saw was all the work that needed to be done, right? Oh my God, damn it. it was bad. I, I won't go into it, but the property was in horrible shape. That's what she was looking at. I was looking at, oh shit, when I fix it, it's gonna look like this. <laughs> I, I can make, I make money out of my property um, uh, if we don't have to touch into it, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that if, if a property doesn't put money in your pocket, then it's not a liability. So when I bought this property, I knew that it was gonna put a lot of money in my pocket, right? So I looked at the property, I'm like, shit, it's gonna look like this, I'm gonna make this much money. My wife was thinking the opposite. She turned around and left that door, I'm like, whoa, 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 where are you going? Where are you going, right? And, uh, so I tend to look at stuff that way. If I can make it work, I will do everything I can to make it work. Now, do I make mistakes? Am I wrong sometimes? Yes. I bought a property in Port Charlotte that I lost money on, right? Just like any other investor, nothing's 100%. But I try, I, I'm one of those people that I will find a solution. You know, it's like, like the old saying in, uh, in Jamaica, you know, you know they, they don't see stuff as problems. You know, it's, you know, what's the solution, right? What's that? I forget the saying. I remember one time I said, oh, it might be a problem. No, man, no, man. Nothing's a problem, you know? Yeah. So, so that's how I look at stuff, but go ahead. That's awesome. And then, so you figured this out. I feel like you figured out the formula to make a cake on short-term right. rentals. And then you, re you, had, you built this team to really manage the ones that you own, right? And then you realize like, oh, like I can manage this for other people. So talk a little bit about that side of what you do, how if somebody was interested in getting into the Airbnb game, but like they personally don't want to create you know a whole system and a process that you have one in place and that um you know you can oversee that for them so talk talk about that a little bit Here, here's okay so we'll we'll start from the beginning when i started uh uh doing airbnbs you know i was a one-man show right i did from the from the get-go i did uh, create a team of cleaners to clean the properties at the time, it was easy because I only had, uh, we started with one, then we had two, so we only had three or four. So it was easy getting getting uh, cleaners. And like a lot of people, when they start off, I used family, right? You know, I got my nieces and nephews, go clean the place. But then I realized how important the review system is with Airbnb. And I realized, listen, I need some professionals, right? So I, my sole purpose during that transition period was to, create a team of cleaners uh, and and now we have managers for both Broward and, and Palm Beach, but uh, just to create a team that's going to help me or be my eyes and ears and, and understand how to actually clean a property because you just can't hire someone. Hey, I need a cleaner, go clean this. 
Because the average person that cleans an average house doesn't, they don't follow the pro same protocols that you would need at, in an Airbnb, right? So I did that. I found a team. We trained the team on how to set it up. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a shout out to them. It's, it's at um, Dragonfly uh, Cleaning Company. Um, there by far was a, they, Paula and Dea, which is the two owners of the company, who then now are part of me, uh, that we, uh, we took part of or took over that. Um, for a godsend because I was like, I knew nothing about the cleaning business, but now I know a lot about the cleaning business. This is why I participated in, in that section on it. But when we first started was that, let's create a team first. Once we had the team, with their help, I started creating the system. So in case something happened between me and this group that I can just get another group in place and just hand them the manual and say, just follow this, right? So that's what we ended up doing and we ended up which not only did that help us become more profitable because there is a, a, a way to make money on the extra services with Airbnb, but, but that also helped us become more profitable, but more importantly, more efficient because t turnaround time is critical in Airbnb, right? Our checkout times are 11 and check-in is at, at three. So we only have between three, I mean, 11 and three to clean the property. Uh, and if you don't have an efficient team, you're going to run into tr trouble. So we did that. We were able to, to uh, standardize the cleaning. Uh, so it makes it really easy, whoever cleans it, right? Uh, and makes it really efficient. So you become more profitable. Yeah, I imagine like it's the same in like, you know, residential resale where the only way that I'm able to do so many transactions is by having a team around me uh, that, that um, allows it to be as efficient as possible. Right. It's kind of like uh, like you're saying what it, what, it, what it made me think about when you said turnaround time is like tables in a restaurant. It's the same yeah. dynamic. Like, how can I turn that table around uh, as fast as possible? And you had to create a system. And I imagine you utilize technology and things of that nature. And there's human a human component that allows you to be able to turn those around, because I know that that first impression is really important when they walk into the property. It's got to smell right. It's got to be clean. It's got to be all that stuff. Right. Extremely important. Extremely important. And that's what separates us from a lot of other mom and pops. Uh, a lot of people that start in the business um, is that they don't realize because, they, you know, everything you learn through experience. Right. And when you're starting out in anything, anything, you can read all the books you want. Right. That's theory. But until you put into practice, uh, you really don't really fully understand the magnitude of certain things in the systems, right? like I can I can go on forever because I love the topic, but like even setting up your listing, how critical that, that initial setup is, right? What keywords you need to put in there uh, to increase the SEO of your listing, how to maximize the, the views on your listings to get more a higher occupancy rate. It's a lot that goes into it. Um, and, and, and I don't know if I answered your question, but as someone that wants to go into it, there's two ways to do it, right? You can do all the work yourself, Self, or you can hire a company like mine. Here's the difference, right? A, if, if you're looking, you know, I, I, I put it this way, do you want a job or do you want a passive investment, right? If you want the job, do it all yourself, right? If you want a passive investment, give it to a management company. You know, all you do is sit back and let the management company does it all and you collect your check at the end of the month, right? So it just depends on how what you want to do within your investment portfolio. You know? so you, are you looking for another job or are you looking for something passive? That's right. And I love what you're doing because essentially what you did is you figured this out. 
you figured out the how to make a chocolate cake and then and you're actually doing it. So you own you know, a lot of properties that you do Airbnb with and then you build a team to service your own properties. And that same team and the same systems and the same processes and the same procedures, like all of that stuff, basically when somebody would hire you uh, to manage that for them, they're getting access to all of that. And they just oh, sit back yeah. and like, whatever, like you figured it out already. They like, yeah, they could try to go, you know, figure it out themselves, but you already figured it out. So you'll take right. for like plugging them into your system, but uh, they don't really want to do anything. And in that way, it becomes much, much, much more passive, right? Correct. And, and, and just to go over some quick numbers, right? So let's, the average vacation rental, if you buy right, your, your ROI is going to be anywhere between 15 and 21%, right? So the difference would be, you know, if you hire a property manager, he's only going to cut into maybe two or 3% of that uh, percentage. So I tell people all the time, is it worth it? Depends on, you know, how much is it worth your time? You know, how much do you make per hour doing something else in your own profession, right? Combined to pay me the difference in, the, in your ROI, you know, at the end of the day, you're only talking about pennies on the dollar, right? And your, your, your property's hands off, right? You don't have to worry about anything on the property. So we take care of everything from A to Z. So it just depends on, like I, I said, what? what type of participation you want in that investment makes sense to me and then here's my next question to you is is um with that being the case i'm also imagining just like in the real estate game it's moving towards kind of volume right where you have these super teams that are doing lots and lots of transactions i'm imagining on your platform or on these various different platforms whether it airbnb or you know vrbo or whatever that the same thing is happening where I would propose probably a small percentage of the operators have these little mini empires with like, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 doors, 200 doors, and they have it down. It's systematized. It's a legitimate kind of business. And you have these little mom and pops doing like one or two. And I'm imagining as time progresses, you'll see more and more of that where like 1% of the operators on the platform will do like 90% of all the transactions. Hundred percent, and and that is more evident today than it was prior to COVID. Yeah, uh, you're. That's where I see the future of vacation rentals going. I mean, just think about it. Marriott got into the vacation re rental market, right? Uh, so, you know, Marriott is a huge company, right? Uh, you have Turkey. Which, if you're not familiar with Turkey, Turkey got into the vacation uh, rental market. Uh, these are big companies, right? Uh, that are going to be controlling almost all, if not all, of the vacation rental markets, with the exception of of the properties where you're only renting out a room, right? If you're going to house hack a, 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 your house, that's the only area in which which you know you're not going to see a management company, but so I'll give you, for example, when in, in prior to, I, I would say, 2000, 2016 and, and earlier, a lot of the Airbnb market were people just renting out a room. You know, you had very few single family homes, very few entire apartments to rent. Uh, probably 2014, 15, 16, it flipped. It exploded because people realized, shoot, you can make some money. 
right? You can rent the entire house out and make a lot of money versus just renting out a room, right? So, and I see that in the future. I see going fo forward, like, I'll give you a prime example. Miami, and I forget the building. There's 100% dedicated buildings being built just for vacation rentals. Specifically for vacation rentals. Specifically, there's two companies in Miami right now. And then and I'm curious well, is what, what they'll do is where like, they'll be like, they'll manage it and you could buy like a unit in the building. They take a rip and you'll get like, you know, whatever, right? Yes. yes. And that's, that's, the, that's the vehicle that, or the area that I'm trying to get into. Like I, I have a six, in West Palm Beach, I have a six unit apartment building. The whole apartment building is, but now I own it. I don't manage it. Uh, that apartment building is is all vacation rentals, right? You're starting to see people buying up uh, or building these large complexes, just vacation rentals, right? And then you you can either own it all yourself, or you can, like you said, sell each individual unit for that specific person, for that purpose. And that's what that guy did in Miami. And I forget the name, it starts with an M, um, but an entire building. I think the building has 325 units. Wow, that is wild. And it makes sense to me because, you know, nothing breeds kind of competition like profits. Yep. First, because I know the founders, they started it as like, you know, just a share room. And that's for a while. And then people started to realize, you know, there's money here. And then there gets, then you get this consolidation. And then what you end up with is a handful of players who are business minded, technology savvy. They understand the bridge between the two worlds, which is the digital world and the physical world, right? They're good managers. They can operate systems so they can build these little mini empires. Correct. More and more, like you'll see a consolidation where a handful of, uh, operators will do the majority of the business. And then what's interesting is at some point, and this is my question to you, so five to 10 years from now, I'm imagining that what somebody can do is they can build a large portfolio like that and then sell it. Yes. <laughs> like five to 10 years from now, like where, like, what are you thinking? Is that something you're thinking like down the road where you're building out this portfolio that at some point when you're ready to, you know, just, I know you love to travel, just travel all the time. And, and that'll be it, that you'll want to sell a portfolio? 100%. I mean, that, uh, and, but and, uh, interesting point on that. I, my thought process has always been uh, to build something so that I can sell it later on. The interesting dynamics with that is that when I started building my business with the sole purpose to sell it, I became extremely profitable. And uh, my business doubled, tripled. You know, I, I, Probably not. I think I'm I six x my business because what ends up happening it makes you disciplined, right? You have to create all the systems. Once you create the systems and have everything in place, you also have to be very meticulous with your books because at some point when you decide to sell, somebody's going to look at those books, right? They want to see what you've done and they want to know can they step into your shoes? If you're the one calling the shots and you're the one doing everything. You don't have a sellable business. No. Right? You, know what it, you know what it makes me think about is Warren Buffett had a saying one time. He's like, you want to build a business so that way one day a dummy can run it because one day a dummy will. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I know. Yeah. So that's that's it. And, and 
And like I said, I, I, I think even if you don't plan on biz, uh, selling anytime soon, you should still create the systems. Um, because here's the thing, right? And I think these are two type of entrepreneurs, right? You have a, a person that will build a business, but there it's, it's like saying, oh, let me put it this way. They're going to build a job, right? A, when a person builds a business that's it's all about that individual, they ju- all they did was create a job, a high-paying job nonetheless, but they created a job. Yep. Versus what I'm doing is I'm creating a, a business as a, as from an entrepreneur perspective that I'm hands-off. Like I, I think I, I mentioned this in, in a prior call with you. 2019 was my my what I was the best year of my life, right? It was my eye-opening year in which I realized, yes, this is how you run a business. I had so much free time that I spent probably a total of um, seven months out of the country. I was in South America. I was in Europe. Uh, I spent a lot of time out of the country. And even when I was here in New York, Atlanta, I was visiting family, I had the freedom, right, and the ability to just go wherever I wanted to go. And my business not only grew, it flourished. Without me, right? We're still doing great, phenomenal, right? Uh, obviously, COVID kind of put the brakes on it, but I look at I look at that as a positive because it allowed me to look at other other avenues. Prior to COVID, I was never on social media, right? Social media was an afterthought for me. Um, now, because of COVID, I'm like, ah, right, you know, I got all this time. And I'm, you know, especially when we, it first started, you know, you didn't want to leave your house. And all this time, and what I did, I, I did a couple of things. Number one, I pivoted my business to be, be profitable during COVID. Uh, we can touch on that if you want. But it also allowed me to figure out how else can I monetize my business and how can I continue to market that while creating another revenue stream, right? Which is what I did. I, man, I just sat down and I'm like, oh. Okay, so it, it, it allowed me to grow my business even more and figure out other ways to profit from my knowledge. That's right. Yeah, we were having a conversation about that prior to uh, kind of jumping on where I see that as a very big opportunity to monetize you know, everything that you know. And it's interesting because what you were saying about the differences in entrepreneurs, I went to a business mastery with Tony Robbins. And one of the things I learned there is he said, there's three types of people in business. One is the artist. And the artist is somebody who has a particular skill that they're very good at. And most businesses are actually started by artists. But the problem with artists is that they're usually not good at like time management and like systems and like all that other stuff, right? The second type of person uh, is the manager. And the manager is super good at systems, processes, procedures, right? So the idea would be is, let's say, you know, when Taylor Swift and when she's booking a venue, like she's not collecting the money at the gate. She's not, she's not even booking the thing. Like she just shows up and does her thing, right? So she has a manager who does that for her, right? And then the third person is the entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur is the one who has an insatiable appetite for risk. They're the ones who are willing to push in, right? And like, you know, some people don't like, I I feel like entrepreneurship is not something you can learn in a book. I think it's either built into you or it's not. And um, you need all three in order to do something really big. 
Yep. Because the entrepreneur is going to want to be like, hey, let's take some risks. Let's go. Right. And the artist is like, oh, I don't know about that. Right. And the manager is like overseeing systems and processes. So like it sounds as though you've surrounded yourself with really good managers. Correct. Right. You have that entrepreneurial kind of bent. And for that reason, that's why you're seeing and you've also pivoted very quickly. Right. You pivoted when, when something changed. You didn't just sit back. You made some adjustments with from going um, focused on uh, people from out of the country coming in to just local, which was a super smart pivot. Uh, people wanted to come down to Florida, right, during a time of uncertainty or if they were locked in their house. And then also kind of ascending, right? So they're already there. So how do we, like, maybe we clean it more than once and we get more money that way, or maybe we do pets and we get more money that way. So you made a very quick pivot that allowed you to not just survive, but really thrive. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Which is awesome, brother. So listen, man. So anything else that you would want people to know about short-term rentals that you think like if you were going to give them like one or two things for them to know, what would you want them to know? Um, well, I, I touched a lot. I touched about, I touched on it already, but I'm going to expand on one aspect that I don't think I, I mentioned enough. And it's on that pivot, right? Um, when you're, in the vacation rental world, and depends on your market, right? Depends on where you're at because it's different. Each area is different. Um, is you need to really study the market. You really need to see, like, uh, prime example was COVID, right? A lot of people that got stuck were people that didn't react quickly enough. Right? As you mentioned, right? A lot of my clients at the time were from Europe. The moment the president banned people from Europe, I re focus on who my, tar my target audience was. And I went to local people, right? Who wants to leave, you know, if they're living in an apartment, get out of your apartment, go spend a weekend in one of my houses in the pool, right? Um, if you if, are working remotely, leave your apartment from New York City, come down here, work remotely in a bigger house with a pool, right? Jacuzzi, sit down, enjoy where you can still work and you're not stuck. So learning to pivot and pivot and do it quickly Extremely important in this, in this, uh, uh, especially in this world today, but uncertain, right? You want to be able to pivot quickly, and specifically to the vacation rental market. Really understand what is it that you want to do. Do you, if you want to do it all yourself, understand that it, it's work, right? You're managing guests. Uh, you're, you have to do the turnovers. A lot of stuff that comes into play that you have to do. Or do you want to be a passive investor? So those are two things that we already touched upon that I think are important. Um, and I can't think of anything else that I can add to it right now. Yeah. Uh, but That's awesome, brother. Listen, uh, I think people are going to get tremendous value from our time together. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share. So if people want to find you, if they want to connect with you, how can they find you? They can find me on Instagram, uh, Fernando underscore premium services or on YouTube at PMI premium services. And my website is premium services, you know, www.pmipremiumservices.com. Awesome, man. So if you're interested at all in that space, Fernando is your guy to talk to. So again, brother, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. All right, buddy. My honor. It was my honor, my pleasure to be on with you, buddy. For sure. You too. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron Novello podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Novello. Happy hunting.